what's up and welcome back to nostalgia pod another week of pop culture with pat sheehan and my co-host dave martin swagger dave hot man real hot hot girl summer (laughs) (laughs) 2.0 emphasis on the hot yeah it's uh it's, it's sweaty we're starting to get into the uh the warm days pop culture slowly warming up as well we had a packed show last week if you didn't check that out you can go listen at youtube.com slash nostalgia pod or soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod and we have a little more cleaning up to do this week you know we were playing a little bit of catch up so we have a couple of uh older uh, older things that came out less than a week ago we'll say that we're going to be talking about um as well as some things that came out just today but before we start I just wanted to check in with you. You know, we talked about Olivia Rodrigo last week and how she was you know, crushing the charts. And then pretty much right after that, BTS just came in and was like, oh, yeah, we're going to drop butter. And then that's going to go number one again. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I wasn't <laughs> expecting a new BTS single uh, so soon. I was like, these dudes are allowed to relax just a tad. Yeah. One are would they? think. <laughs> apparently not um yeah i like the song it's very much the dynamite mold another english mm-hmm. english track um you notice on the writing credits you have lots of the usual like label suspects rm is credited as well which is nice to see but also the actual like label boss of big hit has a credit which is very strange to me but i like the song i think it's uh and i you know it doesn't matter to me that it's made by committee because it's still really catchy. Those guys are uh, talented dudes. And uh, yeah, to debut at number one in the U.S., like it's almost another level reached again for BTS in terms of uh, Western, not just acceptance, but domination at this point. Yeah, they are just absolutely unstoppable. Um, the only thing that could stop the Rodriguez was the the BTS. <laughs> what are they? The BTS Army. What are, BTS what? Army? Yes. Don't get on their bad side. Yeah. No, we're 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 fans of BTS. So don't come after us. Hit that like and subscribe. But uh, we're gonna stay in K-pop to start the show off here because uh, we had a EP drop. Don't fight the feeling from EXO dropping today, and only five tracks. Um, you know, and, and EXO, similar to a couple of the other K-pop groups we've been talking about, um, you know, I, I guess similar to all of them, a lot of members, um, you know, all taking their turns, all getting their moments to shine, trying to have a very diverse sound, but still kind of in that K-pop mold. What'd you think of Don't Fight the Feeling? Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about lots of SM entertainment acts at this point, all of, just about all of their major hitters have done something at this point we did shiny wavy nct dream and now we have xo and as you said xo lots of members i believe they're at uh nine right now originally 12 they're effectively nct before nct came out and then nct like took that to the extreme because there's like a fuck ton of people in nct as we all know um and i actually thought this was kind of interesting because the way it was being um talked about was that it's like the, it's the first uh first exo group work since their last full-length album in november 2019 and yet if you look between november 2019 and today there's a few subunits of exo again nct vibes there but also like <laughs> solo work five of the guys 
in EXO have really solo material. And like, I think about half of them have done their military service with the last of them recently having started it. So I think they're kind of an interesting example of like a K-pop act that has been around a long time, debuting in, I believe, 2012. And now they're very much like into like that second or third act, whatever it is, because like you're operating post the, 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 the you know, the, the fabled military service that can often be early used to be more of a final grace note for k-pop so mm-hmm. listening to this even though a few of the members still didn't record on this because they were actively doing their military service funny enough the guys that just started it secretly recorded for this before they started <laughs> their service a lot to keep track of but it didn't sound like anything was amiss to me but I, I'm, I'm not the biggest uh exo fan so i think that though those those hardcore exo fans are probably really excited for the next full length group once everyone mm-hmm. is totally out of military obligations and they can sure. really all be together as one but for like a holdover thing a special album as it's being called uh i think it still kind of does what it needs to do yeah certainly i mean uh, i think for uh, i would guess i know the the tracks on this that pop for you you and i um and i'm um, I think there's two real standouts for me and then a couple that are a little more toned down and not necessarily my speed, but I really like the title track. Um, I think that like growling baseline throughout the whole thing is like a really nice, like way to like kind of hold the track down. Then they bring in like, like the danciness around the chorus, which Mm -hmm. I thought was really fun. And then uh, no matter really stood out to me. Um, Just felt like a really groovy track, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're doing like a fast singing, potentially yeah. like a rapping, you know, obviously not knowing the language, it's kind of hard to tell like the, the cadence of things, but just the way that the words sound, it's like this rapping, yeah. cadence, which I thought worked really well on the track. Um, what, what track stood out to you? Yeah. I thought no matter was interesting. I like the thing the beat really stood out to me. And in general, the, the, the first track don't fight the feeling. I really like that, uh, bounciness of that, uh, EDM beat, um, the breakdown, on the hook where you can hear a lot of the members all singing together. I thought that sounded really good. But in general, that's, you know, a K-pop banger. Right. And I feel like a lot of like the EPs I'm talking about, like the wavy one, the shiny one, there was like a really clear standout, like well done banger on all of these releases. Mm-hmm. So SM seems to have a playbook they've been doing later on, just like on this EP, there are some slower ballad songs, yep. uh, you know, more the guys getting into their bag uh, vocally. And I think that's, you know, it depends if that's what you want to hear from them. I'm always more in tune to the banger stuff from K-pop. But um, in a sense, like everything else, like just like NCT Dream, which we just talked about recently, it's attempting to do a lot of different sounds or at least a lot of different types of songs um, in a short runtime, which is always cool. Like I've always kind of impressed with the ambition a lot of these K-pop releases have had of late. Yeah, especially because even though they're, you know, doing, uh, they're trying to make a very eclectic release, whatever it is, an EP or an LP, um, a lot of it's really competent, even if it's not necessarily like super interesting to you and I when things are a little slower. We, like I was saying, I think we both kind of prefer the the bangers from K-pop, but yeah, I mean, it all still sounds pretty good, even if it's not necessarily our cup of tea. Any last thoughts on XO or do you want to hop over to rap yeah well i just had one last note when just looking up you know more stuff about exo lately um i was familiar with um Baek young and kai because they both were members of super m of course 
And I did not know this until today, but uh, Bake Young's second EP, Delight, Delight, yes, was the first Korean solo release to sell 1 million copies in Korea since Ooh. 2001, which is like a crazy stat. Because, like, nice. when I think of like soloists in K pop, like, even if Bake Young's like the biggest and the most. Yeah, accomplished of the EXO guys. Like I would think of some, I don't know, like G Dragon or something. Like there's other names I would have thought of first, but um, then I guess reading into it more, apparently Korean music, like albums in general, would not go platinum at all until like only about five years ago or something. So it's kind of interesting to see like how even over in Korea, where the music is obviously dominated for decades, like the commercial viability of it still has really increased of late. And obviously yeah. we know how much more global the music has gotten much more recently. So uh, always interesting to check in on stuff like this. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I've really been enjoying the, how we've been diving into this. Definitely, a, obviously, a, a sound that just continues to grow in popularity. So um, why don't we move over, though, to two kind of popular rappers? You know, it's funny because this... This release that we're going to talk about, the voices of the heroes, did pretty well this first week. Um, Sold thousand tracking right now. Yeah, it's crazy, and this is a much better drop than Little Dirk or Little Baby have had on their own. So there's you know potentially something there in terms of numbers, but this uh, this wasn't a album I had initially planned on listening to, but. Dave, you know, I, I really trust you to lead me in the right direction <laughs> with these rappers that I'm, I'm trying to keep up with. And uh, this wasn't necessarily an album I was super thrilled with after listening to it. Uh, tell me about Lil Baby and Lil Dirk. What intrigued you about this album? Yeah, it's not so much that I was intrigued. It was more so just that Lil Baby and Lil Dirk have never been more popular than they are at this very moment. And obviously we We've talked about both of them in passing because they've just been featured at nauseum, right? Little Baby made a lot of noise last year with My Turn, mm-hmm. an album I thought was really hit or miss, but definitely had some highs. Like I think his best song probably ever is Emotionally Scarred off that. And of course, We Paid is a great banger off the deluxe with 42 Doug. And then Dirk, probably even more surprising because Dirk has been rapping probably more than twice as long as Little Baby has. Like he's more popular now and he's like been like actively like well-known nationally for I don't know nine years almost like it's been a long time for Lil Durk and now he's the hottest second hottest artist in Chicago alongside Polo G it's it's quite the come up you know like if you told me like I'm like I think just the introduction for many people outside Chicago was way back you know I was like Oh, if you like Chief Keef and Chicago Drill, check yeah. out these artists like Fredo Santana and Little Reese and Little Dirk. And it's like, huh. I remember the time I was not very thrilled with Little Dirk, you know? <laughs> and looking back, I guess his use of autotune, his kind of melodic, trappy ways was a little bit ahead of the curve in, in 2012, mm-hmm. to be honest. But to think that he's leagues bound more famous and popular than chief keef is today it's a crazy thing i never would have thought that would have happened at the time um and his album we didn't talk about his last album because it came out on uh christmas eve last year so that's kind of a, a non-starter for, for us yeah <laughs> for us to review something <laughs> um and 
it was his most successful project to date. And, you know, I think the song still trapping with the late King Vaughn, one of his uh, close friends is a, is a highlight there. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a victory lap album, but I was surprised to actually see it so soon. Uh, little baby and little Dirk just kind of putting something together and throwing it out there. And you can tell by the tracking, it's being well received, uh, well consumed anyway. But yeah, I, I mean, my criticisms of both of them as artists kind of have just flowed into this collab album with them. I don't think this really should change anyone's opinion, whether they're positive or negative. I think it just kind of does more of what those guys do, which is to me kind of generic trap. And yeah, I think little baby in particular, he's kind of falls into like a monotonous delivery at times. At least Dirk seems to have like more energy in his vocals that stands out to me a little bit more, but you know, it's, it, there's so many tracks too. It's like so many of them are just mm-hmm. in one ear out the other, you know, it's, uh, I think it's def. I think even, even the biggest fans probably just like, you take the songs you like off this and you don't think about the other ones ever again, really. Right. Yeah. You know, I think that was the thing is when, when we decided we were going to listen to this, I clicked on to it. I was like, Oh, let's see, probably like 20 minutes, maybe 25, get like a nice short album. No, this is now an hour. I was like, okay, we're, we're, we're doing it. Um, and you know, it's, uh, I, I wouldn't say this is like a, necessarily bad it's just i think a little bit redundant a little bit uninteresting um i think the moments i really liked were songs that were much more like either relying on that like heavy bass kind of like trap sound or that were like upbeat and kind of like in that mold of chance you know kind of Mm -hmm. like uh when it was uh, i don't know there's some songs that I could never not tell you the difference because it's just like the same production, same yeah. tricks over and over. And I think the beats, together. Yeah, the beats in general are quite lackluster to me, which is kind of surprising. Like you would think mm-hmm. quality control and whoever Dirk signed to uh, would be like universal. I think uh, you think they'd be more invested in a, a budget here. Like, mm-hmm. like I, Apart from, I think, the How It Feel beat stood out to me, it kind of reminded me of a, how it feels, reminded me of like a xylophone, like, it was, it, I don't know, just kind of a, a unique yeah. cadence to that beat. But other than that, like, nothing really stood out to me. And I think these are guys that really need strong production, too, because lyrically, they're, they're, they're not ambitious. And which is so funny to me because all the love Little Baby got last year is like so many people are talking about his bars. And like, yeah, he... They, both of them Dirk and Baby they rap like they put words together they they're not mumble rappers you know like they, they are competent at rapping but like mm-hmm. I saw a lot of people like really tr- uh, trumpeting like their lyricism and like I just never could get there like even the bigger picture multiple Grammy nominations performed it at the Grammys uh, listen to the actual words of the song and it's just a both sides protest song there's no substance to it and again I don't need little baby to give me substance. I'll listen to yes, indeed. And emotionally scarred all the time. And I guess there's substance to that one, but like this, like you would think like, I wish there was something that like even banged a little bit more. Like there's nothing close to we paid on this, you know, like it's just, it's it's just generic, which is unfortunate, but it's kind of how I feel about a lot of uh, lower effort. It comes across anyway, Atlanta stuff, you know, it's just not that doesn't feel special to me. Yeah. It it doesn't feel special, but you know you do get some big, um, 
guest verses on this or some moments. Any of those stand out? Any of those add anything for you? Yeah, I guess. I mean, Rod Wave shows up at the end. Uh, he's still sad, in case you didn't know. Um, <laughs> I'd say Travis on Hats Off probably stood out to me the most because it was more old school, early Travis style of performance from him. That also had, I think, one of the more funny lines from me from Little Baby. Uh, Dirk the voice, he know what to say. I'm the hero. I come save the day. I was just wondering, like, where did like the voice and hero and uh, nicknames come from for these two dudes, which I believe they bestowed on themselves because you would think the guy who made the bigger picture would call himself the voice. And Little Dirk, one of his biggest songs ever, one of his, my favorite songs of his is called Neighborhood Hero. But no, they, they cross these paths, I guess, whatever, man. <laughs> it ain't that deep. <laughs> um, well, my understanding of the nicknames is that they somehow come from childhood but i don't know if that's necessarily true like dirk says the voice is a childhood nickname i don't know if that's true if you say so sure um yeah you know overall pretty forgettable i agree travis is probably my favorite feature um yeah uh i guess hats off might be the track we put on the playlist maybe yeah i mean i'll still be checking for what they're doing just because the guys are so hot right now you know but I mean, just personally to me, like I know Little Baby, people love Little Baby. He's so many people's favorite rapper right now. But like when I compare him to other similar artists like Travis or Uzi, Thug, like he's just so much Migos, like he just doesn't come close to the highs of those artists for me. Um, but other people he does. So good for them. They're they're very successful at this time. We got that Migos single last week album uh, this friday very excited here we go and polo um, g's second album as well so the king chicago title run for dirk short-lived if you ask me <laughs> big stuff happening <laughs> this weekend in the rap world so we're looking forward to next week's pod talking music but we're going to move on to netflix and a comedy special sticking i guess with music in some way uh bo burnham dropping his first comedy special in Play Five his years. First ever recorded like recorded one like this though. Uh, I think he had two for Netflix, and a few others were more of the comedy album variety. He's had a lot at this point. Yeah. I, I I didn't actually realize how long he had been famous. He was a YouTuber as a teenager. Yeah, too late 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 two thousands when he really like started to gain a lot of popularity. Obviously, style is a uh, musical comedy, um, but you know, mixing in stand up and observation in there obviously and um you know inside the new special um it comes at an interesting time for him he's been delving a lot more into serious acting you know obviously we saw him in uh promising young woman mm-hmm. we uh were fans of eighth grade even though it was incredibly cringe as the right. uh kids would say and um he was also recently cast as Larry Bird on the upcoming HBO yeah. Showtime Lakers show. So that okay. sounds cool. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, and he, he's actually a really good casting. He's super tall and he's yeah. got that like look for Larry Bird. So great casting there. And we've also consumed some of his directing of uh, comedy specials. That's we right. talked about Tambourine from Chris Rock. I don't know if we talked about Drad Carmichael's eight, but I know we. I, like, I, I like that it. special a lot, though. Yeah, yeah, the great Drad, Drad Carmichael, and, very underrated. And, and Bo's camera, I believe that was the first one he did. His camera actually kind of stands out. He kind of like loops around yeah. Gerard the whole time. Yeah, 
yeah that that's kind of like again like we don't talk about a whole lot of stand-up but like when someone has elevated branched out blossomed beyond strictly the stand-up world such as Bo Burnham has for several years at this point gets my attention for when the stand-up special does come back around so here we are and definitely unique right given Mm -hmm. that the 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 obvious stuff of it all written edited uh shot acted produced solely by him in um, one room over the course of a few months in his home in los angeles uh at the end that uh speaks for itself right it's a product of quarantine um i think actually i think this probably would have been probably would have hit even i think a bigger deal if this had managed to come out at some point in 2020 obviously this is a very tough uh thing to pull off watching him in the beginning like working on his lighting and stuff i'm like i feel you there man i know exactly (laughs) what that's like trying to adequately light oneself in a fucking bedroom it sucks right um but yeah here it is came out uh last uh sunday yeah and you know for me i think watching this and not being the you know a huge bo burnham fan i would say i'm aware of some of his like earlier stuff but not like to a, a point where i'm I would call myself a fan. I was pretty blown away by this. Um, not only because I think some of the songs are really poignant um, in different ways um, and obviously speak to a whole myriad of issues that we're all currently dealing with. But I think uh, the way that this comedy special seemed to like transcend a bit of what you would come to expect of a comedy special. And um, it felt a lot more cinematic, obviously. Um, And just to do what he did with the little that he had, you know, like you said, just recording in a home, doing his own stuff. uh, Really impressive. How did you feel about it? Yeah, that's what I think should stand out to everyone. It's just, it comes across as formless. There's a lot of editing. There's a lot of cutting. Right. It's not just uh, multiple shots of a guy holding a woman holding a mic on a stage. It's therefore, I think, more visually interesting Like the lighting, a lot of stark, bright neon lighting changes, shadows, non shadows, you know, all kinds of cool stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it kind of borders on like sketch, right? Like some of the, and the more memorable bits, like the one where he's being like a, a Twitch uh, streamer mm-hmm. uh, and then also acting out the uh, action of the game he's streaming, yep. right? Like that's something that is so, so a, a different from anything you get from a comedy special, right? That's obviously much more aligned with something like Saturday Night Live. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's the coolest thing is even if it's like not like, not every joke is like amazing and like the, the ambition and, and the uniqueness of Inside, I think is what will make it stand the test of time when it comes to comedy specials it's not the funniest thing you ever saw yeah and you know when when this came out uh, pretty quickly i started seeing like clips and screen grabs from this all over the Saki bit obviously was getting a lot of attention i think not only because it's a uh a really well thought out and i think a really smart you know critique of the uh the way history is told and um you know frame to people and then also like the uh i think the difficulty people have in breaking those cycles of how we talk about and reflect on history um but i i think it's also one of those things that is a little more a little more easy to post 
and people get it when you just have a screen grab of Bo Burnham with a sock rather than, you know, him lying on his floor like my background is or like you're showing like this visual right. of him as a silhouette. It's it's very artistic in, at, at times, but um, I guess I wanted to ask like what bits or what songs stood out to you the most? Yeah, so I like the sock one. That one was really cool. I like the Twitch one. Just I think yeah. visually really cool, right? Just uh, <laughs> seeing him act out like a... Um, a uh, narrative uh, adventure um, storytelling game. Really funny. Um, Similarly, the the reactions video, like the YouTuber bit where he's (laughs) reacting to himself, reacting to himself, reacting. Mm -hmm. Like that was awesome. Um, I also liked the one about sexting. Uh, Oh, it's not sex. It's the next best thing. Yeah. Specifically the folks on emojis. That was really funny. Um, similar to the hand puppet one, you had the bit about like woke brands, like companies mm-hmm. that feel the need to uh, align with a cause. Uh, even though, again, it's, it's more of a sketch than strictly a joke, it still has that kind of observational humor and point of view that you'd expect from like smart stand up. So that, those, I think those are the, my favorite ones. I forget what it was. I'd have to rewatch it, but there was one of the earlier tunes towards the beginning of the special. And the, the melody reminded me a lot of like Lin-Manuel Miranda Hamilton kind of mm. stuff. Like, and I was like, oh, this is, this feels inspired to me. And yeah. Like, I know he's done music. Music's a big part of his, his, his comedy uh, to this point. But I actually think it was really smart to use it as kind of the driving force for so much of inside. Because again, he had so little other thing, other options right beyond just literally recording himself telling jokes directly looking into the lens, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, I think not only the skits that you highlighted um, stood out to me, I think the sexting one was probably the one that made me laugh the most. Mm-hmm. But I think the skits that were really like uh, vulnerable, you know, like he, he talks pretty openly about having anxiety, some of his mental health struggles, uh, the way the pandemic has been impacting him. Um, you know, I thought the... Uh, FaceTiming with mom one was pretty memorable and something that probably a lot of people relate to over the last year. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the song All Eyes on Me. I thought that was a interesting like second half tune. And um, then, then the one where he was talking about the internet, I thought also was one that probably is going to get a lot of attention people are going to really take to. Um, yeah, the, the thing is, like, I, I kind of go through it, and there's not a lot of moments where I was like, oh, that was bad. Like, I think there's some things I liked more or less, but um, overall, really, really impressed with this. You know, one thing I did see was a bit of a debate online about, like, the ending and what it really meant. Like, how did you interpret, like, the very end of the special? Oh, right? I don't like, know. I don't know, yeah. to be honest. That I, I didn't realize that was a hotly contested thing, but... um at the end of the day, there's a lot of transitions throughout this special. It's it's quite formless. And I think actually that's one of the benefits of even if you don't like a certain bit or joke as much as the next one, it's always still pretty visually interesting or at least visually different than something you had recently watched already in, within the special. So it always keeps your attention. And yeah, like the ending, like, I don't know, it's up for interpretation, I guess. Yeah, it was mostly people just, you know, interpreting it all differently. And I thought I thought that was a nice part of it you know he finally gets to like leave the house and then immediately wants to get back in and can't and just say you know makes you think so uh not your typical stand-up special and i think that's why we both would recommend checking out inside out from burnham um 
why don't we stay though on Netflix and just hop over to our guy Obi Wan Kenobi, oh. Ewan McGregor. Hello there. Yeah, playing Halston, the uh, Shar White create, created series on Netflix. Five episodes. Love it. Give me those five episodes. Um, I, I, I would say I'm. I have a season pass to Ewan McGregor at this point. Like anything he does, I'm usually like, I'll check this out. Right. Um, Do you have a season think, pass to Ryan Murphy? Because there were two sides of the coin with Halston in the limited yeah. series. It's <laughs> a great point, Dave, because Ryan Murphy is someone I actively try to avoid if possible. Although I say that and I did watch the prom and I didn't have to for this. So. Me too. Yeah. I watch stuff that people tell me is bad from him all the time. <laughs> Even Halston. It had middling reviews. But I was like, huh, only five episodes and it stars Ewan McGregor. All right, I'll, I'll check it out at least. If this was a full 10 and it wasn't Ewan, I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have went through with it. Yeah. Um, and I definitely like this more than Ratchet, though. We can say that right off the bat. Ratchet yeah. uh, quickly lost my attention. And Halston, I think it's there's some key differences from a lot of his recent uh, Ryan Murphy's recent Netflix uh, productions. But um, I mean, how do you feel about it? I thought it was really up and down um, with some really excellent moments uh, and, and episodes and some episodes that were really forgettable and unmemorable. I think when they lean into the dramatics of the fashion world and like the competition and kind of like the rise and fall of the business, I was really interested when they move into Halston's personal life. I think he runs into some issues um, and is pretty one note a lot of the time. Um, and which is, uh, it almost feels a bit like they wasted you and McGregor with a not so well-written script, but, uh, I don't know, before I, before we started kind of breaking down the, the specific moments, what did you think of Halston as a, as a whole? Yeah, I, I felt similarly at the end of the day, it, it felt very down the middle, which is not what mm. I usually expect from Ryan Murphy. Like it's visually bland. It's straightforward plotting it's felt like wikipedia summaries of halston we're very quickly moving through his career and his we're just told about his notoriety and his rapid almost viral success you know Mm -hmm. post um making jackie kennedy's uh hat right it's like everything's kind of felt yada yada and then once we get to like actually in the moment with halston as like a in-demand fashion uh artist creator we again move quite quickly and i i i didn't love ewan in this either like he like he had like the mannerisms intentionally he had had a distinct voice but he also kind of felt like he was a little coasting maybe that's a product of the script as well like you said Mm -hmm. but yeah I, i was quite disappointed in how like just straightforward it was you would think like this story the halston story is very ripe for a biopic film treatment from like a serious director like there's definitely room and i'm sure someone revisit this down the road um but as a limited series you think oh well there's tons of stuff to get into with halston's life we'll get into but like barely like everything is just on the surface throughout the show which is disappointing yeah i almost wonder and we are not usually people who are advocating for things to be longer or more necessarily, but it almost feels like it could have 
done well with an episode episode or two more to just like give it some room to breathe and explore but like you said we we pretty much see start off with Halston as a child seeing some of the issues that his family had you know specifically a lot of domestic violence in the home um and then it's like oh you're a very successful designer because you designed this hat for Jackie Kennedy but kind of the yada yada that I felt like was an interesting decision mm-hmm. like very something that would have been a great grab for people I feel like yeah. uh the come up it's yeah. completely skipped kind of crazy um and they focus more on him you know establishing himself as this like mega brand and uh like selling out I guess in some way and like mm-hmm. grappling with like what it means to like have success as a designer and uh success as a you know I don't know thought or as a concept mm-hmm. within that world but um yeah just uh it felt very like the rise and fall of every powerful person who gets addicted to cocaine kind of story in, in the long run which is yeah disappointing because i feel like there's a lot more there sure and you i mean ryan murphy is always quite intentional with lgbtq stories as a, as a gay man right like he's very much like one of the most important producers when it comes to this stuff right creating stuff like pose for example. Yep. But like, there's just not enough time, I think, to adequately tell that story. I mean, again, think about when this is taking place, what life was like for someone who was kind of an out gay man, not totally right. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, Halston died of AIDS, right? Again, we, we could have had more with that too. Like, again, I think this is ripe for a really good biopic one day. Um, but ultimately, I think like the whole like selling out angle is the funniest bit about this. When I saw this comparison online a lot, uh, Halston's downfall as a designer is due to brand dilution, due to an ill-fated but lucrative deal with J.C. Penney's, and it's 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 awfully funny to think about brand dilution in the sense of Ryan Murphy, much like Halston. <laughs> Ryan Murphy's name on a yeah. TV or movie does not mean a whole lot anymore. Now, does it? Because a he makes a ton of shit, and he also just does not have a high hit rate anymore. Nope. Just, just a funny meta angle to think about these, this kind of thing. It's a really good point. I didn't, I didn't actually connect that, but that's, that's really uh, clever. I like that. Um, you know, I, for me, I, I do want to focus on some of the moments I liked a lot. I liked the uh, Versailles fashion off, which was kind mm-hmm. of posed as like his, his like the climax of his career, so to speak, when he like upstaged all the other really famous designers. Um, you know, leading to like the the mega deal after that, but um or maybe i already had it before that um no i don't think so this was like that, i think that was definitely like a like a big victory for him yeah. and established him like not just as like a popular designer but also as like a well-respected one by other people in the fashion circles right and, like, leads him to i believe bill pullman's the businessman figure right, gets involved right. in the story around that time yeah it, I, I, I like that one that, that that was cool like the whole like they're in the shitty room we gotta whip something up together like and like yeah it, it, it's a little service level but you see like the frenetic genius of a designer like Austin just kind of whipping up something to win the, the 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 championship as it were totally and like it's just the way that it's shot where it's like this like very snooty you know atmosphere until Halston comes out and then it feels very modern obviously you have Liza Minnelli played by Krista Rodriguez like mm-hmm. as a running uh, character through this and you know a, a real friend in Halston's life um I also really liked the uh 
the episode where they go to Studio 54. And obviously that's kind of like the the boogie nights, like everybody's on cocaine, like leading <laughs> leading up to like the obviously the, the downfall of the second half boogie nights. But just feels very like fun and partyish. And I was like, Studio 54 feels like there's a lot there to explore. I mean, I'm sure there's been a lot of things made about Studio 54, mm-hmm. but um, I don't feel like there could be something there for a revival. Um, you know, but other than those two episodes, I watched this a couple weeks ago now. It feels like not that much has really stuck with me, um, you know, in terms of other moments. Any others that stood out to you? Um, you, you mentioned Liza Minnelli character in the film. I thought that performance was or the series. I think that performance was good. Like obviously, you get like the, the song and dance classic Liza Minnelli thing early on, but I like that presence in general. Um, I did not know Joel Schumacher cross paths with Halston. That kind of made my uh, eyebrow raise. Uh, Rory Culkin plays in yeah. the series. Joel Schumacher, of course, goes on to become the famous film director, of course, who recently passed. Um, yeah, it's it's not like it's not like an offensive series by any means at all. I was just a little frustrated with how inert it felt because you can definitely tell there's like room for so much more and something much greater in terms of telling the story but alas it doesn't get there unfortunately yeah you know they they like have these moments where they kind of like something will go wrong in halston's adult life and they'll flash back to something that happened in his childhood and they are pretty explicit like oh this is why he has these issues but he never really like necessarily comes to terms with them i feel like like there's never like a moment where he like reckons and like totally acknowledges like yeah i have these bad relational patterns and like I should do something about it. Maybe that was actually how the real Halston was, that he never had this moment. I think you kind of see in the last couple episodes, like when Victor is trying to get back with him and he kind of sets that boundary, like, no, I can't be with you anymore type of thing. But um, I I wish they had just explored that a little bit more in depth rather than just being like, oh, he was a troubled person because he went through this. Like, I I guess I wanted a little more there. I also... um, feel like the uh, the AIDS pandemic uh, epidemic was not I don't, I don't want to say yeah yeah because I don't know if that's necessarily true they definitely spent some time on it but it just felt like again like you mentioned everything's kind of surface level like you see some of the fear and some of the panic but it's all kind of like just a, a certain depth and they didn't really want to explore that more which felt like there's probably a lot more there to explore especially you know, there was that show on HBO we talked about recently. I'm blanking on the name that really delve into this topic, and um, it's hard to like juxtapose those two. I'm, I'm frustrated yeah, that I'm blanking fuck, on the name. What are you talking? What was that? Why can't? Oh, uh, it's a sin. Yes, it's a sin. Yes, thank the you. UK show. Yeah, you know, seeing like the two times kind of juxtaposed against each other, and the way that one really focused on that, obviously that being the the central story, and this one just kind of being like, yeah, this is what killed him and pretty much all of his friends. Um, just really felt, no, yeah, like, like they they just didn't want to, like you said, it was very down the middle, didn't want to go there. So overall, just fine, worth a uh, worth a couple of hours, but maybe not the best thing you can watch. Why don't we move on to Undina? Christian Petzold's newest film. And Dave, I know that you watched uh, Petzold's film before this. Give me a little recap of that one. Yeah, so Christian Petzold is a well-known, uh, long 
storied career German film director and hadn't seen anything he had made until his 2019 film Transit, which I believe is still available on Prime right now. Transit uh, notably also stars uh, Franz Rogowski and Paula Bear, who are the stars of Mundina. And that movie, I think, is tremendous. I absolutely recommend it. Um, one of those movies, like I caught, like I, I knew people liked it all year, didn't really catch it to like the holiday break time of the year. But uh, really good because it's it's a really cool story. Honestly, like it's about people trying to escape the Nazis and like the other two characters kind of crossing paths. Like it's not a there's no war, there's no battle scene. It's not a war movie. It's a drama with like that kind of backdrop of people trying to flee the city and end up getting stuck in uh, Marseille and a re- really interesting, really good script. And Rogowski uh, in particular, I think really stands out um, in terms of like just characters meeting and passing in the night and whether they want to uh, stick to together or stick out for themselves kind of thing. So I, I definitely recommend uh, transit. And I was really excited to uh, uh, see Undina, you know, him making another movie so soon. Um, this, I know this uh, debuted at the Berlin Film Festival back in 2020, which I believe was the last film festival to like take place in the before times. And Paula Bear actually won the uh, Best Actress Award at the festival that year. So I was, I was excited to see this. We finally got it here in the U.S. on VOD. It had come out in Germany last June, a year ago. <laughs> And uh, definitely does not uh, hold a candle to transit to me. I was quite <laughs> underwhelmed with Adina, unfortunately. It's, uh, I guess, a, a theme of his film filmography, from what I understand, is that vagueness comes into play often. But to me, with Undina, the storytelling uh, just doesn't quite gel altogether. Like, there, I think there's a lot of, like, cool pieces to this film, but I don't know if it, like, transcends. And I thought tra- uh, transit really got to a high level by the end. Of the, at the end, like you're really wrapped, and I, I don't know if I was as, as engaged with uh, this story this time around. Yeah, Undina for me, um, I think the parts I respected and, and definitely was most engaged with was just the chemistry between Paula Beer and Franz Rogowski. You know, um, I think their romance really uh, thrives off the fact that those two as actors seem to just have a lot of on-screen chemistry and it kind of crackles when they have their real emotional moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where things were pretty tough, it was, uh, you know, obviously there's, it's just like a dark fantasy if you needed to put a label onto the genre. And that fantasy aspect, like you mentioned, is kind of, put in there in such a interpretive and um, vague way. And uh, especially I think the second half of the story really left me trying to grapple with what Petzold wanted me to take away from this film. And I ultimately left feeling a little bit confused. So I I think we're kind of on the same page that the vagueness of this didn't necessarily um, work as well this time. I also gotta say, Rogowski looks just like Paul Met- uh, Metzkel to me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like the same facial. 
Yeah, he, he also became a sex symbol in Germany, funny enough, Not much like how Mescal has uh, exploded in the past year. <laughs> That's funny, funny comp. Yeah, so I think you mentioned before we started recording that this is based on a, a story of uh, the same name, like a myth of the same name. Is that right? Yeah, like not something I'm super aware of, but like Undina in Europe is a like a female like sea nymph and like the whole it's kind of the whole um very similar to the, I guess the key like over thing overhanging on the plot of the film is that this water nymph becomes human when she falls in love with a man but is doomed to die or something bad will happen if that man is unfaithful to her so like in the very beginning of this movie uh Undina says that she would have to kill her soon ex-boyfriend Johannes Johannes if he like leaves her right mm-hmm. and like you don't I think you don't know going in like am I supposed to take that literally and I think that's kind of an issue with the film is by the end of the movie I still don't really know if I'm supposed to take any all this literally mm-hmm. because it dev- doesn't fully commit to like the fantastical elements like going into this like just knowing this the, the broad strokes I actually thought like she was gonna like look like a mermaid at one point or something that does not yeah same at all honestly you know and on oh. i think the story of like undina not actually getting over the past relationship when she's in this new relationship that she's happy with obviously highlighted by that scene on like the bridge or like the walkway by the water where she has to look back at mm-hmm. her ex-boyfriend when she walks yeah, by him down the path mm-hmm. right like maybe if the, we didn't have the trappings of the fantastical elements it might have felt like a tighter story. I don't know. Um, I think the key to like this movie working for someone is they have to be invested in that relationship between Christoph and Undina. And mm-hmm. definitely the acting is definitely up the chops. Like they have great yeah. chemistry. So you have to be invested in that relationship, I think. Because otherwise, like there's just some vagaries to it, man, you know? Like and sometimes it's really nice to look at. Like I think the scenes like where you're watching the train move, like there he's chasing yep. her on the platform before she goes away. Like some good moments, but like plotting wise, it was a little hard for me to invest in. Yeah, you know, it's it's really also tied into the idea of like Berlin's structural building history. Yes. And there's a lot of like lecture of that, which mm-hmm. at times is pretty fascinating. Yeah. But also like the model was having... awesome. Yeah, it was. And, it, you know, I think it's a real achievement that they took this like speech that probably for a lot of people could be seen as boring. I thought it was pretty fascinating in some events, especially some of the specific themes that she was talking about. But then having to not only understand this like, vague fantasy story that's woven in with this love story um but then also what he's trying to say in terms of metaphor about like building structure and changing buildings but not necessarily changing certain aspects of a city it's uh it's a lot of there's a lot of layers to it so probably a film that would benefit from multiple watchings but then again i don't know if this is a film that i would want to necessarily revisit right away again Mm -hmm. but um you know, I, I give uh, Petzl a lot of credit because, um, you know, this is the type of artistic film that I think uh, can be really rewarding and obviously makes you think. I mean, we're like talking about the different layers of it right now, and I think we're going to get to a, a movie in a second that's a little bit less thought provoking. So I, I you know, I, I appreciate that, you yeah. know, what he's what he's going for here, for sure. You know, I got to say, 
it doesn't it feel like one day uh Rogowski, friends Rogowski, he's gonna pop up in some like yeah. big time like auto driven film. Like he was in Malik's last movie Hidden Life, but like maybe like show up little... in a Nolan film as like yeah, maybe someone who's a little more mainstream at this point. Like even Quentin Tarantino, right? Like Quentin Tarantino, yeah. you know he's seen every Petzl movie and he fucking <laughs> loves it. And I'm sure he's been on the Rogowski train for a while, right? So I'm sure we'll see him in in Hollywood eventually. So that'd be cool. Yeah, definitely. Why don't we move on to uh, Guy Ritchie's most recent film, uh, Wrath of Man, which, um, you know, Dave, we, we've been talking about Guy Ritchie for as much as we've been able to talk about pretty much any director uh, recently. We had Aladdin 2019. Mm-hmm. We had The Gentleman in early 2020, one of the last films I saw in theaters before the pandemic. Right. Um, and, you know, Wrath of Man's coming out. He's making another film that's already in production. Yeah. Uh, Five I think, Eyes. I think you also reviewed King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, early on. Yeah, I didn't see it till uh, late. I saw it on the plane, so I think I mentioned it at one point. But yeah, he's released a few movies since we've started the pod. And obviously one of those is quite notable in how it is an outlier. That would be, of course, working for Disney and making Aladdin, mm-hmm. which to me is probably my favorite of live action remakes. More on that in a little bit with Cruella. But since he got back to his usual ways with the gentleman and Wrath of Man, you almost can tell that Guy Ritchie's like happy to like take back the narrative and like do do his stuff again, you know? Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. is, which is which is fun. Yeah, and I think this movie is really like it's Guy Ritchie, but a little bit more like Tom Clancy ish, I guess, like mm. in a sense. Um, it, like it, the gentleman felt like Guy Ritchie going all the way to like a you know witty Bond esque type side where he's right. you know you have Matthew McConaughey and uh, he's had all these weird lines and talk about tigers and all this shit you have Hugh Grant being super weird and it's like okay this is like this is campy but like in like the most fun way possible this feels a little bit almost like video game-ish at times like Mm -hmm. that whole beginning sequence when Jason Statham has just been accepted after barely passing the you know the physical test and they're like walking him through that like place and he has to stop by each person and talk to them and introduce himself and they give him some like witty jab like oh you think you're fucking jesus or some shit (laughs) yeah going on here um but yeah no i i thought this was actually really fun like and i think it when when it leads into the action and stuff i'm like oh this is a fun guy richie film this is what it is what it is kind of but i didn't really think it was like his best movie what did you what did you think though no, I think that's the funny thing, too, is it takes some DNA from his best movie, Snatch, mm-hmm. namely the yeah. nonlinearity of it. Like halfway, maybe a third of the way through the movie, we completely restart and we get the complete other POV of the the, the bad guys from Statham's point of view, right? The, uh, mm-hmm. the, the other gang. And like <laughs> you learn that the whole pretext of this movie is that at the end of the day, two rival bank, not even rival, two separate bank robbing uh, gangs happen to be casing the same truck route. Mm-hmm. Like it's it kind of preposterous, but yeah. I still find the movie pretty fun. I, I I think like early on the way it's like framed like that when you get the first view of the, uh, 
inciting incident of that robbery where Statham's son gets killed. It's filmed mm-hmm. from like inside the back of the Fortico bank truck, and you can't, it's kind of incoherent. You can't really see much outside like the doors and stuff. Yep. And I think it was it was a cool way to like keep the suspense and not tell ever, us everything that happened because you know the movie wants to be more convoluted and tell you that later on. So. Uh, I don't know how effective all that nonlinearity is. Like, I actually really was expecting like Statham's rest of his crew to show up at some point again. It's yeah. kind of surprised they never never appeared because we got a lot of time with them, like yeah. in the, their big scene. But the action is fun, and like like ban- like banter wise, I don't think the, this banter isn't as good as the gentleman. I don't think it's even close. Honestly, like there's a lot of like like. I don't mind like the toxic masculinity of Fornica. Like there's some like really like out there like comments, but I think it's just kind of like kind of dumb. Like at times, like stated until Post Malone line? like suck his own dick oh, yeah. before he shoots him in the head. Right? It's like <laughs> it, the script is what it is. That it, that's fine. But you're there what to did watch. You say <laughs> suck your own dick. Okay, <laughs> sure. But my, my favorite line was uh, I, I forgot exactly what was happening in the scene, but he like does something and one of the guys like what do i do now he's like i don't give a fuck what you do i was like okay <laughs> like sure i feel I that mean, josh hartnett's character is called boy sweat dave <laughs> yeah really funny also shout out josh hartnett a guy who i i think after lucky number 11 i was like this guy's gonna be everywhere and uh didn't really turn out that way but no he's still working like more thing. lately though which is yeah. nice. it's nice um yeah you know uh holt mccallany who mm-hmm. obviously we know from Mindhunter gets kind of a nice turn in this movie. Um, yeah. I, I, I felt like pretty predictable because, you know, you have him and he's kind of like second build on this. So yes. you're like, mm-hmm. oh, is he just going to be like the straightforward old man, like caretaker coworker? Yeah. No, he actually gets a little bit of a twist, which I think is a bit predictable, but also like good for him. Right. Glad he got it. Yeah, once you get to like the climax, which is this extended set piece at the depot where there's the robbery attempt and this net many shootouts, I was surprised to see how how much character death there was, right? And um, yeah, even Holt's character Bullet, um, Scott Eastwood fucking claps him at the end. There it was like really quick, you know. I thought there'd mm-hmm. be like a like a standoff where they like talk talk to each other and then one of them gets killed. No, like he just fucking gets gets got real fast. Uh, I really like Jeffrey Donovan as the head of the uh, other of the other gang, like the leader. I thought he was pretty charismatic there. I mean, he's always just the guy from Burn Notice, though. Like, right? He's I, I love that Jeffrey Donovan just always be Burn Notice. Meanwhile, you have like on the other side, you have like Andy Garcia as like yeah. a F- FBI agent or whoever it is who's might have made this might might have done this work in like two days. Like he has just a handful of scenes where he says basically nothing. And like, that's, that's all I was saying. Like, there, there's some like convolutedness. To it. Like, heck, like, yeah. You, you remember the, um, Andy Garcia is like, like deputies, like his agents that he's like telling to stand down. They never come up again. Like why are there even characters in the first place? I know. Well, they were like, well, there's this workplace shooting. So they obviously need to investigate it. And then they're like, this guy is the guy we're looking for. And he's like, nah, just let him go. We have similar interests. Okay. Cool. Andy Garcia just showing up for two seconds and then showing up for two mm-hmm. seconds again. That's it. It's so yeah. it's so funny, like some of it, but really worked for me. Also, Rob Delaney just shows up randomly. Yeah. And it's like being a ridiculous, like funny person and then checks back out. Like 
as you mentioned, Post Malone just shows up for a second. It's all just like, okay, okay. It's right, like, right. I'm, I'm enjoying myself. It's fine. Also funny to see like this like incredibly militarized uh security uh outfit. Yes. Like these are people that move like money around, but like Brink this is not how that's not how strapped up Brink's truck dudes are. Like they do not have like <laughs> that level of machine guns at the home no, Dave. Base, you know. <laughs> they they're not like Call of Duty soldiers like walking around it's fucking nuts. like the holger or whatever gun that is like they, they that was fucking crazy yeah um but i i like the action at the end like again like a lot of people die like kind of in quick ways like a lot of unceremoniously like that character is gone now bye mm-hmm. you know so and statham I, I think statham obviously he's our lead character like he he's doing jason statham things not doing anything you haven't seen him do before but he still really knows how to command the screen i think I think the thing with Statham is the rest of the movie around him needs to be good because he's been in a lot of movies like this that are really bad, right? Yep. But like, it's never really Statham's fault. So I think he's kind of he'll, he'll be up and down with the rest of the movie, but he, he'll always bring what he brings. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I I felt like Scott Eastwood actually in this, like, I liked him. Like he he really seemed like a good bad guy. It's like you're hateable, and uh, I, the ending between him and Statham is a little bit like ridiculous. And that's like a Guy Ritchie like ridiculous ending where this guy's holding a gun on him. And he's like, "What the fuck do you want?" And then he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, it's like okay, dude. Like maybe you want right. to get strapped up too." Also, then he's like, "I want your lungs and I want your liver and your spleen." Yeah, I was like, "All right, <laughs> good yeah, night." I agree. It's a nice turn for Scotty. So I, I haven't had like a high opinion of him the past few years. And I feel like most people don't, you know, it's like, he's just kind of like, oh, here's the new pretty white dude that we're going to try and make a movie star, you know, but like this actually him getting a little dirty, you know, as yeah. the bad guy here, you know, got a messed up eye as this character. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a good use, I think, of his talents, you know, because like, the physicality still work. So yeah, yeah, that, that was nice for him. Totally agree. Uh, you ready to wrap this one up and move on? Yeah, I'm looking forward to Five Eyes, uh, which is in production now, and we'll probably get, I, I imagine, maybe early next year. Uh, a lot of frequent collaborators from recent Guy Ritchie works, including Jason Statham again. So I'm just happy to see Guy. He's just, I think he's he's found a nice niche again. Like he's he knows what kind of budget he can get for these kind of movies, and he's running with it, and that's awesome. So happy to continue to watch what he does. Well, Dave, we're moving on to Disney now because we have uh, Ruella, the Emma Stone production, Emma Stone film, uh, mm-hmm. reviving everyone's most hated fashion designer, Cruella DeVille. Um, this is a movie that was supposed to come out Christmas time 2020. Obviously, with COVID, Disney was not going to have their bag impacted. Uh, at least not for this one, when you get Emma Stone attached to this and Emma Thompson, I think they wanted to try to do a little more return on investment, so they dropped it May 28th of this year. Uh, so we're talking about this a little bit later than we typically would for a film of this hype. But, you know, Cruella, I mean, I guess, first of all, is this a movie you felt like you needed? It's like, oh, I need to know the Cruella prequel story. Well... No, but that's the answer for all of the Disney live action remakes, right? Good point. So this one's original. Yeah, this one's completely original and it doesn't change anything. I don't know. Like it doesn't change any calculus for me one way or the other. So 
the fact that it's like like an attempt to do something different and really tread a lot of new ground i respect you know versus something that's like a traditional remake like the lion king remake right not technically live action photorealistic but that for all intents and purposes tried to be a beat for beat remake of lion king with a few exceptions and that's the seventh highest grossing movie of all time obviously it was a great call by disney but creatively i thought that was about as bankrupt as these get cruella um you know i guess that the decision to read brand Cruella DeVille at least in her early years as more of an anti-hero than a villain maybe that can raise an eyebrow or two but I think this it's cool to see something a little out there like this at least yeah you know uh, I think there's I think they're trying some stuff and going for it you know you have Craig Gillespie uh, as the director of this and I think I, like, this is last yeah time. Uh, I, I think you can see some of that like DNA, right? Where um, I, I think there's some moments that feel a little bit like almost like I'm going with the word campy, I guess today, but it feels like it's just kind of like a little like too much, a little over the top. Obviously this is based off a cartoon. So some of that's going to happen, um, but it, it all kind of works. But at the same time, I, I, I felt like so many aspects of this movie didn't work and um it's very long you know it's two hours 10 minutes and i, I got halfway through and i was like how is there still an hour and 10 left of this i have no idea how they have that much more story to tell there's a lot of plot um you know obviously it covers Corella's rise from orphanhood or i guess uh, estella uh, her rise yes. from orphanhood yeah. into becoming cruella Deville um as she be, gets into the fashion world with the Baroness, who's, you know, yeah. you know, there's a twist there. There's just a lot going on. And then you just have, like, this crazy soundtrack, you know? Like, I guess Cruella de Vil is just, like, also, like, in the London music scene in the 70s and, like, pushing forward, like, popular music is kind of crazy. Uh, I don't know. There's just a lot going on right. in this movie soundtrack definitely stands out just because there's a lot of needle drops a ton almost like a distracting amount yeah (laughs) i I thought it was funny that you get covers from tino turner of whole lot of love and come together i was like we specifically picked the covers for these maybe was that a cost-saving method you know you want to pay the beatles and led zeppelin we'll get the covers instead like not sure that stood out to me but yeah there's a lot a lot of needle drops right yeah. Which is funny because isn't the score is uh isn't the score Nicholas Bertel? Like sure that's yeah. right. Hold on me. Like it's uh yeah. I think the score itself is composed well. Uh yeah, it is Bertel. Yeah. But you have all these other like distracting almost needle drops because like anytime there's not dialogue, there's a ton of music going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very loud movie. And you know, obviously that's kind of what they're kind of trying to characterize Corella as is this like rambunctious orphan who had to take care of herself and she's turning all these plots and uh or turning all these tricks and, and not in that sense but like obviously like just to, like get by and um it's a very I don't know it's, it's just a lot that's <laughs> where I'm going with. I think Emma Stone's pretty good actually and I always like her I think her and Emma Thompson have like a good rapport with each other um i think it's interesting the way like you said that they kind of frame her as like a dog lover in this 
movie and like actually working really well with the dogs and it's like huh okay um i don't know uh, my, my thoughts aren't fully formed on this because i think there's just a lot to wrap my head around what what did you like or what didn't you like about the film let me go to start there uh yeah so i i liked i, I like stone i thought stone was pretty good i think she at the end of the day she kind of has to just roll with the script she's it's hard to elevate this kind of material i think because there's a lot of as you said a lot of plot and a lot of movement but I think I think it works because like in her performance works because like you, know, you get a lot of ra- uh, lavish costume design and lots of different hairstyles and stuff like that's kind of fun. Like for a little bit, this movie is almost like the Devil Wears Prada. I think that's right. probably the biggest flaw of the film is that it jumps around a lot. As you said, it's long, but there's like a lot of like distinct segments of mm-hmm. the film. We it takes about halfway before we get like the Cruella persona really even manifesting, right? But I, I like the rivalry between Cruella and the Baroness and like the cat and yeah. mouse stuff. I thought that stuff was really fun. One other thing that I noticed was, and I believe this was uh, shot pre-COVID, for the, uh, or at least most of it was, it seemed to have a lot of like, um, like minimal set design, right? Like you have the, mm-hmm. the home apartment, the Baron, like the Baroness's uh, like studio office, and her home, and that's like it for like the, the water fountain. Like that's like it for like sets, right? Like I don't know why that stood out to me, but it did. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's definitely like a, a weird aspect of it, but I don't know if it like detracts in any way. Um, I really like the interplay between her and her henchmen there with Jasper and what's the other guy's name? Uh, Paul Walter Paul Hauser's Walter character. Hauser. Yeah, um, which I also was just like, I got so many people to hop in and just play like a, a bit role in this you know paul walter hauser who i can't remember if he actually got the nomination for richard jewel but was certainly in the conversation yeah, is like a best actor um you know you have mark strong basically playing like a version of um <laughs> his character of uh oh man blank hey, like name again kingsman. yes kingsman yeah i feel yeah. like he's just like the same guy kind of um yeah when i was watching it i was like something has to flip because mark strong is not in this movie to just be the butler no no way and uh, or the assistant right um yeah even joel fry has been getting like quite a few parts recently i thought that was like nice um it wasn't one of the guys from yeah kevon novak was also in this it's like a very like quick part i think yeah he was the lawyer but oh oh, I i didn't recognize him that's funny yeah, but um, we big fans of him, obviously. So it's just like they, there's a lot of talent around this, and I think overall, especially for like the Disney live action, like you mentioned, um, pretty good. Like I, I think this is probably one of the best ones, maybe top three. Would you say? I mean, you you mentioned yeah. that you think um, Aladdin is number one, right? Yeah, Aladdin's I think still my top one. Um. Yeah, I think of the ones we've talked about, and there there are others in these, but you have Cruella, Mulan, Lion King, Aladdin, Dumbo, Beauty and the Beast, and Jungle Book. Probably the most notable of them. And again, there's a few others. Jungle Book's um, pretty good. Yeah, I would have Aladdin, Cruella, Beauty and the Beast, and Jungle Book. I think it's a pretty easy top tier. And, yeah. Uh, I think Aladdin, for me, was just the most entertaining. I think you know, Men in Masood as Aladdin was really winning. And yeah, despite a lot of people's initial fears, Will Smith's genie was really great too. So 
that was one where I actually really appreciated the changes they made to the storytelling, right? Cruella being that it's completely original, really has nothing to adapt for the most mm-hmm. part as a prequel. Um, almost has like attempts to have higher ambition. Like I said, like there's some like, like, dra- like fashion drama angles to this, right? Like there's a lot of like parts to this film. Um, but yeah, I would say like, it, especially if it wasn't as long, like it, it, it could be the best one, but still still solid for, again for what you get like the, all the caveats aside for these kind of movies yeah it's fun um and i think i i see kids really liking this movie um so i uh yeah I, I, they definitely set it up for a sequel with the after credits scene so yep and they have already um announced that announced ones in development yeah. uh next up on the remakes uh, let's talk. What do you think you're most excited for out of all these? We have The Little Mermaid, which I believe is the most recent one because that's been filming. We also have Peter Pan and Wendy from David Lowry. And it looks like Robert Zemeckis' Pinocchio is picking up as well. Going to shoot relatively soon. Tom Hanks as Geppetto. Those seem to be the three the one... that are closest to uh, getting made. Yeah, I think that's the one I am least excited for. I probably Little Mermaid. Um, especially because obviously they went with um, uh, Halle Bailey um, yeah, as Ariel, which definitely. would be an you know, interesting uh, twist. And uh, the music in Little Mermaid just awesome. So, uh, yeah. Listen to McCarthy's Ursula, Bardem yeah. as the dad. Yeah, I'm, I'm into Great that cast. one. Yeah, is that the, the one, one I'm not into? For? The one I'm not into is The Lion King 2 because it's being made by Barry Jenkins. And I just am really annoyed that Barry Jenkins has to follow up Underground Railroad with The Lion King 2. An indictment on Hollywood. Maybe <laughs> like he's, maybe get, he's getting just... paid. This is an easy way for him to get paid. I totally understand. And I maybe like Barry he'll Jenkins elevate it, but like it's The Lion King 2. Like, we yeah. don't need this. Um, yeah, just, just quick with we've mentioned this before, but going back to Little Mermaid, uh, David Diggs as Sebastian and Aquafina as Scuttle. So, um, very talented voice cast, but yeah, you know, um, it's 2022 date, I believe. Yeah, Barry Jenkins. I mean, I don't blame him for getting the bag. I would love to see him just go with a really brutal, long shot of like some animal just like getting ripped apart, you know, just really make mm-hmm. it like the Underground Railroad, but Disney. Imagine. <laughs> Uh, it would be really funny but um, i also recently got word that john chu is attached to a lilo and stitch movie nice and i, I believe they're also trying to rev up uh, robin hood uh you know the animated okay. robin hood remake so i'm done with that uh, yeah and that'd be interesting right because we get so much robin hood right it's one of those like uh, i think copyrightless ips at this point so there's been many robin hood movies over the years up and down to say the least but the Disney one, right? The cartoon, the fox, you know, the animals. Maybe that's right for something. I don't know. I mean, they were talking about a Bambi one a few years uh, back when Lion King came out. Do not need I, mean, Bambi. I think we can. We, we got to stop with uh, the photorealistic animals, if you ask me. But also, you know, like Dumbo wasn't that good, but also was the lowest box office of all these remakes. Mm-hmm. Pinocchio, Bambi. Maybe there's just not an appetite for the stuff from the 40s and 50s yeah you know I was then again like, beauty and the beast was a big hit so yeah like, maybe it really is up it depends what it is i don't know it looks like snow white should be tapped soon right but like maybe they're just well, not we're talking about beauty and the beast one. is a 90s movie i was thinking of snow white is an old one That's yeah okay. yeah i don't know i feel like snow but maybe with uh with the dwarves they want to avoid that i don't really know 
Uh, right. Oh, well, actually, it, well, they kind of skipped that, right? Because they made Maleficent one yeah. and two. So they went with the Corella route where they're like, we're gonna go with the yeah. Um, and honestly, I don't, I don't need to see Corella running around trying to kill dogs. Like, I just don't need that. Like, stick with this like antihero thing. I'm fine with that, but um, I really don't need to have 101 Dalmatians remade, in my opinion. Especially if they're all going to be animated like the dogs were in this. It's just like a lot. It's a lot of animation. I hear you. Yeah. Well, the ones we just mentioned, most of these from are more of a straightforward variety. So, yeah. We'll see. They're going to keep making these because they keep they keep making a shit ton of money. Like, three of them are billion-dollar movies. Like I said, Lion King is a top ten grosser ever. So, these print. And that's why they're yep. making them. Is what it is. Well, Dave, I think we've reached the end of our Cruella discussion. What do we got for next week? A lot of cool stuff for next week. We got, obviously, the premiere of Loki this Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. I hear that's great, by the way. Yeah, All the early definitely exciting uh, show. As soon as we saw that first trailer and understood what it was, uh, Marvel TV's back, whether you like it or not. Uh, it'll be back more often than not. Just got to get used to that mm-hmm. feeling. On Friday, In the Heights film adaptation of Lin-Manuel Miranda's first hit musical is hitting HBO Max. Also, rapturously received. We got The Migos, Culture 3 at the last this Friday. Polo G's second album, Hall of Fame this Friday. Also this Friday, The Return of Betty, Season 2. And we'll also wrap up and talk about uh, HBO Max's Hacks, starring Gene Smart. A uh, unexpected but welcome surprise as far as the TV calendar has gone this year. So a lot of good stuff coming up. For sure. So uh, hit that subscribe button, soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod, and check the show notes and follow our Nostalgia Best of 2021 playlist, 2021 playlist, um, where we're going to have a song from XO on there. So uh, we'll see you all next week. Yeah.